Welcome to The Exchange. I'm Dan Riley. The Exchange is a streaming internet talk show and podcast of interviews with noteworthy people about their lives, ideas, and current events. This week I sit down with Jamie DeWolf, the great-grandson of Scientology founder L. Ron Hubbard. During our conversation, Jamie discusses the life of L. Ron Hubbard, the recent book and documentary about Scientology, Going Clear, and his own criticisms of the history, practices, and beliefs of Scientology. All right, Jamie DeWolf, uh, welcome to The Exchange, and good to have you on the show. Thank you, sir. Uh, we would love to start by by sort of learning where you grew up. But we were talking a little bit before the show about your your sort of religious upbringing. Um, <laughs> where did you grow up? I grew up in uh, Humboldt County, so I was born in Eureka, California, okay. so up um, way north, Eureka, Arcata, um, is where I grew up, and you know, grew up in the shadow of Scientology, but did not grow up a Scientologist. Instead, grew up um, incredibly Baptist religion and so my earliest memories was was being um you know at church and summer camps and you know standing in a field waiting for christ to come down for the rapture and and um you know i think up until about the sixth grade um jesus was my imaginary friend that i talked to all the time i talked to jesus constantly um and <laughs> what does that mean when you talk to you how did that work <laughs> well there was always a strong sense i had that that memory being taught to me is that uh that he was always there. He was always there. He was always watching. He was your best friend. He was your best pal. And that there is this strange divide, um, which is a very useful one for Christianity, um, that you have the big, mean, gruff dad who's the one who, if you piss off, you know, and if you make him feel like, you you know, you don't love him enough, then he's going to turn your whole ocean to blood. And, and, you know, you have to, like smear the blood of your firstborn on your doorstep so he leaves you alone you know but i mean if you get on your on his bad side like he will destroy every single person you know stick and 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 a brick in your entire city and village and and then on the flip side you have jesus which is like you know come to me and holding the lambs and so forth which is a really like fantastic dynamic that you know if you want to hate on homosexuals you have the old testament god and then if you want to beg for mercy for the latest, you know, uh, uh, earthquake fundraiser or whatever, then you can invoke Christ. And so there's this really, really strange manic depressive um, um, divide. And I was definitely really scared of God, but really good pals with Jesus. And, you know, and and is that strange thing of wish fulfillment that Christians do that they, um, you know, I'd pray to Jesus before a soccer game and hope that I scored goals and, you know, that I would beg Jesus to get me the latest Optimus Prime for Christmas and you know I mean that that he was a very tangible friend that I had for for many years and <laughs> so that you know that that faded over time certainly so the I know I know the the link to Scientology is, is maternal it's through your mom and it right. your, your, your mom's grandfather is, is L. Ron Hubbard right so my my great-grandfather is L. Ron Hubbard and then my grandfather is L. Ron Hubbard jr. Right. Um, and then his first child was my mom, and then I was her first child. So um, there's a lot of firsts. We were all sort of first in line, um, which had its own kind of strange, um, strange, you know, trickle down of trauma and this this strange legacy that was kind of being passed and blame and and um, you know the horror of it all in a way because Elron Jr. I mean, a lot of people 
I've, I've always felt that that my story and, and the story of my family is more importantly encapsulated in the relationship between the father and the son of Elron and Elron Jr. Um, you know, oftentimes I correct people and they're like, "Oh, you're related to Elron Hubbard." I'm like, "I'm related to two Elron Hubbards," <laughs> you know, and because one of them, you know, Jr. was. A member of the church um, early on um, when his dad brought it into him in the very early days, kind of when Dianetics had sort of just started and when he was getting his power and his money and kind of turned rich overnight and did a lot of dirty work for the church. Um, you know, he claimed that he was a pretty hardcore enforcer for him and beat people up and blackmailed him and dragged him back into the church and, you know, um, uh, handled a lot of threats both physically and, and uh, blackmail-wise. And then he flip-flopped a lot um, by trying to, like, cater to what his father wanted and being horrified by what he saw by the church, um, you know, destroying people, then backing out, and then, you know, trying to expose his father. And ultimately, at the end, he, um, you know, paid a pretty pretty serious price to try to expose his father at all costs. And in a way, I think that their story in and of itself is kind of a microcosm of Scientology itself, is that you had... Two Elron Hubbards, and one tried to one learned the truth about his father, tried to expose it, um, was basically destroyed for it, but had also been a believer and, and still wanted the love of his father. And but his father was um, incredibly vindictive, and so that didn't just didn't really work out. And a lot of what Junior was saying in those early years, um, no one believed because it was just so so ludicrous it just sounded so uh, you know insane and some some of them even some of his claims were pretty far out but i mean some of them were pretty pretty much dead on you know about like black occultic sex magic rights and and just shit that when you say in a normal interview people are like come on now you know what i mean and but all that stuff has been substantiated it's, it's all been proven and you know i think that that was a lot of what junior was trying to point out is that not only is my father a liar not only is my father a liar but um what he's lying about and the actual roots of Scientology are far darker and stranger um, than just trying to make some bucks. You know, I mean, that that there is one of the things that Junior would say often is that um, Scientology doesn't, Scientology works exactly as it was intended. You know, that there is a sense that some Scientologists have that like Elron went off the deep end and, and you know, and, and it got more and more malicious. And Junior's point was that it was it was always a systematic you know, program of, of to completely control people's minds and and uh, you know it's very efficient in that way and it's very cleverly designed. Um, trying to explain it to people as to why it would work on on most people is I think you have to frame it in a way that makes sense. You know, if I say that that uh, basically this is these are sessions of electrified hypnosis that. I then own your secrets and you're encouraged to have trance-like states in which you're able to fictionalize past life experiences and only if you do are you able to continuously move forward Hmm. on this sort of video game leveling of spiritual powers. Um, 
I guess is the easiest way I can come up to say it. Um, another way of saying is that it's a pyramid scam to sell secrets. <laughs> that's that's also another my quick shorthand for it. But um, you know, there's a strong sense of like a video game of progressing right. forward, of trying to move up these different OT levels and trying to unlock different doors and different powers, and and you need so much so much experience points and and um, I mean, really, you need hundreds of thousands of hours doing this stuff and and hundreds of thousands of dollars to keep moving forward up their bridge right. um, to, to spiritual freedom. So what do, what do we know about L. Ron Hubbard in terms of what would make a man want to do something like he did, especially with the darker elements in it? I mean, mm-hmm. What do we know about his biography that would indicate that this is someone capable of being interested in doing something like that? I mean, the guy was like a junkie for lies. Um, I think very early on is that this guy just couldn't, could not stop lying. Like, I mean, it must have been a high for him. It was some kind of narcotic. Because very early on, there was always this this sense of, of, you know, manipulating people with these kind of strange past exploits. You know, his earliest wives, he lied to them. Um, even science fiction authors, someone famously quoted, I uh, forget who it was, it might have been Robert Heinlein or something. They said that when they would have dinner with all these science fiction authors in New York, which he was, and he, he yeah, was he was right. in, in in the early, you know, in the in the forties and thirties, forties and such. Um, that when he was writing all these kind of pulp mag science fiction stories, is that everybody was a storyteller, right. and that they would sit around and have these grand feasts, and they'd all be dining and and you know shooting the shit and telling tales. And I said the difference is that everybody was a bullshitter, and everybody <laughs> would tell these stories, these like fantastical tales. Um, you know, military exploits and, you know, secret spy tales and, and whatever. And they said that the only difference about Elrond was that he was the only one that would try to convince you that they were all true, you know, and that um, he had kind of always been a hustler in a way and had always um, had this really strange addiction to, like, um, making himself more than what he was. And even in his military record, they, they even show some of that. This is before he was basically, you know... Discharge, you know, when he was like, you know, dropping mines on, on just like some random foreign object in the in the ocean. I mean, that he was kind of always just like that guy that was always boasting about himself and and had this like kind of endless list of exploits, and that's obviously a great you know makeup for a cult leader. And also, I mean, I, th- I think in a way, because um, that's something I've tried to understand him about about him quite a bit is that I think it, this is the guy that started as a storyteller. Um, was an incredibly prolific storyteller, could bang out, you know, whole novels in hours, you know what I mean? And, and um, no one, uh, that guy could type his ass off. I mean, it's like he, he uh, would overwhelm you and basically drown you with the amount of words that he could pump out. And But what I think is really fascinating, something that I'm, I've always been compelled with, is trying to understand his actual psychological makeup. Right. Because that, for me, has always been sort of a journey into trying to understand who he truly was. Because I think that when you say someone's a cult leader, that uh, people, in a way, they, um, they kind of stop thinking about the actual psychological mechanics that are going to lead to that. Um, you know, some people, I mean, I've, the amount of different psychological labels I've heard thrown on him are, are pretty endless. You know, mm-hmm. people are like, oh, maybe he's manic depressive, maybe he's schizophrenic, because he had all these talks of, of aliens and dissociation and, and, and his paranoia. And the problem is, is that by the time that you've created a cult, that he's basically externalized 
all of his own, you know, neurosis and psychosis and whatever it is, and that his own inherent paranoia has also become tangible because there actually are governments that are actually investigating and, and pursuing you. I mean, the FBI was after him and State Department, and the IRS. I mean, everybody's after him. And, you know, I mean, and a whole slew of them went to jail. And so, I mean, he was literally on the run. And so, I mean, it's like, at what point does your paranoia end? And not, not, not to mention that I feel like that most people who are in that kind of position of power, um, that there's a certain amount of just kind of like sociopathic self-protection that I think is in play every day. And so that to me is, is always been trying to understand who he truly was because I'm actually related to the fucking guy and I'd like to know what the fuck was actually wrong with him, you know, because I have, I mean, I, I think that, I think that most people can agree there's something wrong with the guy, but I mean, it's just like, what, what is wrong with him? You know what I mean? Do I, I mean, I've, I've heard multiple people say that, that he was a paranoid schizophrenic, but I find even that kind of a stretch for me because it's, it's, it's hard to understand um, someone who is a paranoid schizophrenic wielding as much control and power and, um, you know, the, the kind of like micromanaged psychotic efficiency, which he had on Scientology. I mean, th this is a guy who's writing every day, pumping out commands every day all over the world. Um, he's riding around in a ship, you know, and he's sending, you know, statements and missions and, and, and new quote, theology, technology all the time, and he's just pumping it out over and over. I mean, this isn't a guy like John Smith who just found books once, you know, in, in the woods, and then he's like, all right, now I'm going to need all your young adolescent girls to marry me now that I found these books. But is that, I mean, this guy was constantly creating and adding to it and, and making it more and more complex. And in a way, that was also how he saved his ass because... You know, he's guaranteeing you all these powers and he's guaranteeing you all this, this control and mastery over your own psyche in this lifetime versus, you know, something like Christianity. Um, you know, you don't have to guarantee me shit until after I'm dead, which is a really, really beneficial business deal for anybody who's trying to get you to buy something in this life. You know, it's like, well, give me your money now and the day you die, I'm going to give you a refund. We're all good. You know, so that's a very, very brilliant business plan, I would argue. And I mean, to me, that's always been a fascinating thing to try to understand is that kind of difference between like, you know, a showman and a sociopath, the difference between a leader and like a thug, you know what I mean? And, and, and just anything. I mean, as someone who runs shows and runs, you know, and, and directs films and, 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 you know, as often as kind of found myself accidentally in a position of like, you know, arguably like control or, or whatnot. Um, I'm very uncomfortable with it. Um, like I don't, I don't get any joy in bossing people around or anything. Like I actually kind of loathe it. Um, the people I want to work with are people that are like show up and kind of generally know what to do and, and, and handle their, mm -hmm. their biz. Um, versus that this is someone who just, you know, I, I try to describe him as like, um, someone who has kind of a carnivorous ego, mm -hmm. um, because he made the money. You know what I mean? He had the money. He could have just left with the money. But there was something that was so important to him to constantly be fabricating his own past. And I think what's interesting about him is that if you look in his biography, nearly everything that he failed at in life 
um, he respun into to to a heroic exploit of you know what I mean if he was uh, I mean he was not a military hero and then in in the Scientology story it's that he was machine gunned in the back and was one of the first you know casualties of World War II and was blinded in a firefight and you know restored himself to sight with the powers of his of, you know Dianetics and and you know and, and what he had learned um, that uh, you know in a class that, that was a nuclear physics class um, which he flunked out of you know he got an F on the school transcript that's proven and but in his biography it's like you know they had literal paintings of him like showing people how nuclear physics is done and a bunch of scientists standing around him in in lab coats being like my God Elron show me how to do that and. You know, so, I mean, there's just something about him that was just like, uh, some of it is understandable. You know, it's just like, who wouldn't want, you know, if you have all this money and power, you're just able to go back and rewrite, rewrite your entire life and be like, oh, high school? And be like, oh, yes, I was prom king. I, you know, I, I dated the hottest girl in school. I was always successful. I've always been successful. <laughs> and in a way, though, too, is that his, those lies about him, though, were so instrumental to Scientology itself because it's it's all of these stories combine into creating a portrait of someone who is one of the most well-read, well-traveled, um, uh, you know, such a diverse realm of experience. Mm-hmm. I mean, literally, if you go to the L. Ron Hubbard Life Exhibit, it's like you can see there's paintings of him, you know, at the feet of Native Americans becoming a blood brother to a tribe, walking with like a fucking staff through Himalayan mountains, studying at the feet of Far East mystics, piloting a submarine, screenwriter, uh, nuclear physicist, on and on and on, right? And so, so I mean, if you believe that, if you're actually able to mm-hmm. to be put into a state or or you're you know just this biography is beaten into your head enough that you believe it. Well, I mean, of course, like this man is, is what a fascinating, compelling, charismatic, genius man, renaissance man of, of, you know, of the ages. Of course, maybe this guy has some really interesting, you know, insights into humanity, the mind and Mm -hmm. human nature. Um, but if you realize that, okay, wait a minute, that everything that this man has said about his past is at the very least, um, a wild exaggeration, and much of it is just an outright lie. Um, then everything collapses because then you're like, well, where are these case studies? Where is this study? Where does this technology, um, his so-called technology, come from? Mm-hmm. And then that's when you you know start to realize the obvious truth that this is a sci-fi writer, is a storyteller by nature, um, basically just selling you another story and selling you. A religion with it, mm-hmm. and so to me, as a performer and a writer, and and uh, you know, and a showman, and all the, all of that shit, that um, um, to me, that's really fascinating. Something I always try to unmask because I feel when you're a performer, you're always lying. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But it's um, you know, you you don't, you know, you definitely have days that you really don't want to fucking be there in front mm-hmm. of the audience, or you know, if you're an actor, you're basically a professional liar. If you're a filmmaker, you're forcing you know, a lot of artifice and to create a vision of something. And, and, um, you know, a lot of that seems, um, would seem obvious to people, but I mean, to me, it's really fascinating because, um, being a host of, of shows and so on, it's like, you know, I manipulate people all the time, mm-hmm. but, um, 
you know, I want them to stay at the show longer. I want them to make more noise. I want them to go crazy. I want them to engage in some sort of uninhibited contest. I, you know, whatever. And it's like I'm, I'm you know, using the microphone as basically a weapon. And mm-hmm. so when we did this holy shit show recently, um, which is a whole, uh, a whole, uh, uh, basically it was like a whole vaudevillian cult game show that I did where one side of the audience is versus the other half of it is that there's several moments in it that I'm, I'm absolutely manipulating them um, and have this, all these ulterior motives. And, 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 and it was, it's fun because in a way I'm like exposing it to these people um, that anybody's, you know, can be manipulated. I mean, mm-hmm. we're all manipulated in, in, in day in and day out. And the difference is that, you know, I'm, I'm just doing it for the price of admission and, and, you know, generally for like, you know, entertainment and he in the end is just like no i'm fucking you know i I think the difference is that because because of being related to who i am and everything is that i definitely am always looking for what's behind the mask right of anything you know i see a headline on any kind of news anything and i'm just like i don't know you know what i mean like you know we killed bin laden did we how do we know that i wasn't there you know what i mean or like this happened in this country i'm like i just i have a hard time believing in anything because Belief is so dangerous, you know, and there's always people to exploit it. And there's always people that are going to be like, hey, not only am I going to tell you what I think you should believe, but um, they're going to figure out a way to profit off of it. Mm-hmm. And and that you see that with, you know, American foreign policy. You see that with advertisers. You see that with, I mean, we're all controlled. Um, someone someone is always benefiting by controlling you, mm-hmm. you know what I mean, in, in some way. And so I think that... Um, me trying to understand those mechanics of control and, and, and understanding who he truly was past all of the fiction and the myths, mm-hmm. um, to me is, you know, it's probably going to be a, a life's journey in trying to figure that out. In, in looking at him, in, you know, I, most cult leaders never attract a large following. Most cults either never get started or die very quickly. And the very select <laughs> or a few... a lot of them end when the founder dies, for sure. Exactly. His for some reason, was able to live on till today where, you know, Scientology for maybe its membership not being overwhelming globally, people know what it is. It's right. on the tip of a lot of people's tongues. What was it about Scientology in its ethos or maybe him as a, as a, as a leader, do you think that was able to perpetuate it to modern times? Well, I think a lot of it is that he, he was really smart about nailing the zeitgeist that when Dianetics came out in the 50s... Their holy book, right? I mean, right. Dianetics is their... Yeah, their... I think they... What do they call it? They call it book one yeah. or something. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, it's like, and we began, Dianetics started it all. And Dianetics is basically a hodgepodge. It's just a... It's 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 a pretty kind of sloppy mixtape. Um, I, I admit, I tried to read through it, and I was like, this is, sounds like the worst... You know, this sounds like a college essay written by someone who's been snorting Adderall all night (laughs) that is just throwing together, like, you know, bits of Buddhism, taking Freudian psychology, renaming everything, you know, engrams and the active and reactive mind. It's it's also known as conscious, you know, subconscious and and your id and and your super. I mean, he's just reframing and renaming everything um, and then adding this device to it. Um, this e-meter, right, which is a very mysterious thing. And, and, and in a way, the e-meter becomes 
psychosomatic. Um, he was also hiding his whole roots as a hypnotist, which I think is is really dangerous. Um, I mean, there's a very dangerous truth about him that I, I, I think even a lot of people are not that aware of. Um, I mean, if I told you that, you know, a, a hypnotist wants to sell you a new religion, I think most people would be alarmed because they'd understand that he's good at putting you in, in a susceptible state. And so he kind of combined all of these things in Dianetics and it, you know, overnight it just became this fad. It was one of the new pop culture books. So, I mean, in a way you could argue something like The Secret, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? And, right. And, um, you know, The Secret, for instance, is... It sells itself to people like these are what ancient texts were referring to. And actually some of that is true. I mean, there are different, you know, cults and religious systems that just literally believed in in will, you know, and the power of will and so forth. And it's repackaged, repackaged, resold. And so that's a lot of what he did was and, and having these kind of like science, you know, meeting religion mm-hmm. aspect of like instead of. You know, just old school prayer. We have this e-meter. We're, we're incorporating this kind of psychological um, dynamic. I mean, instead of a therapy session, you have an auditing session right. with an auditor, and you're con- going to be confessing, and you're going to be giving away your secrets, and and you're going to be kind of regressing into a past state. And he got rich very quickly um, from book sales, or from some book other sales. Way. Well, from book sales and and doing auditing. Um, lectures. He, he would charge for the auditing, for yeah. doing auditing. Yeah, yeah, people. yeah. yeah. Um, tons of money, lectures, tours, travels. Um, and then he blew a lot of it. And that's what a lot of people also don't know is that within, I think it was even like two years, um, he was damn near almost completely bankrupt. Hmm. Like he made a lot of really terrible decisions financially and was just like gobbling up all the money. So there wasn't even a sustainable like business model because hmm. he was just like, it was a, kind of a... Uh, a quick money grab. What, what did he spend his money on? Uh, Does he, anyone know? You know, uh, that's just always been interesting about how he spent his money. Is in his later days, he got a little more ostentatious. You know, I mean, he'd have his full like Commodore, you know, pseudo Navy outfits, which are very sporty. Um, but I mean, like you know, as, as far as I understand. It wasn't particularly like showy with Ruddy, mm-hmm. you know. It wasn't like he, uh, um, and that's what I think is unique about him is there was this strong sense of taking this money and reinvesting it in his own self-importance. Really, it's like creating these shrines and these these temples basically to himself. And I think how it's carried over um, and why it continues is really not the theology. I think really it's it's about the the infrastructure that they created and the money and the hustle of it. Um, it's all of their real estate assets, um, which are are disgusting. I mean, it's like they... I, I heard someone say that they own almost more real estate in Los Angeles than any movie studio. I mean, they have a staggering amount of money and assets. And that's why going clear, um, what I think is so audacious about that film and I'm really grateful for is that it's not just a portrayal of like oh Scientology's crazy oh then you know Tom Cruise just believes in weird shit that that's not its overall point the overall point which we've been yelling and yammering at people for years and thankfully it's now being heard it feels like is that um, it's not just that they believe in weird shit is that they're outright fucking dangerous and they have been for a long time the way that they attack their ex-members critics dissenters you know is 
unheralded. I mean, I mean, if you look up the story of Paulette Cooper and what they've done to to her and trying to frame people for bomb threats, I mean, it's just like it's like completely almost like like the CIA running rogue type operations. So who and is she and what did what did they do to her? Paulette Cooper was the first journalist to write a book about one of them um, to write a book about Scientology called The Scandal of Scientology, and they unloaded every nasty, dirty trick they possibly could to her from, you know, telling everyone in her neighborhood that she had been released for a sexual molestation conviction, trying to get her fired, taking her own stationery that had her fingerprints on it, right, typing bomb threats to themselves, sending the bomb threats and having the FBI charge and indict her for making terrorist bomb threats against their own churches. Their whole plan was to make her kill herself or be institutionalized so that no one would ever read her books. And all of this is fully documented, and the FBI raided Scientology on some other shit and then found all of this laid out in operation, itemized detail. Um, I just met with her recently. Um, I just met her in person at the Holy Shit Show, and she's a badass. Um, but there's a whole book that uh, Tony Ortega just came out about it. Um, he's an also awesome, badass uh, journalist called the Unbreakable Miss Lovely um, that goes all against Scientology's war against her. But, I mean, that's the thing. is that the, There's a reason why the media has been so terrified to yeah. talk about him is because they're, they're, they're dangerous. Like, they're, they're, it's not, you know, I, I tried to explain it to someone before. I've been an atheist for, you know, over a decade now. I don't have Christians following me and going through my trash. I don't have to, like, check my fucking brakes every morning to make sure that Christians cut it because I don't want to believe in God. You know what I mean? that's that's They just operate on a much different level. And that's because that is part of the apparatus that, that Elrond set into it. It's part of his DNA. They, If you're a full-blown true believer in Scientology, that's what the fuck you do. You, I mean, it's, it's one of its, you know, religious statements is always attack, never defend. I mean, they just crush opposition. And in a way, um, uh, as Jerry Armstrong, who's a really, really fascinating guy, definitely I would talk to him. Um, I won't even go to his story because it's so incredible. Just, just look it up. Jerry Armstrong is with a G. Um, but he, you know, he said he said to me once is that um, um, he's making a uh, a school for sociopaths, school for psychopaths. Um, that he basically views that Scientology as basically training people to lose all their empathy. Um, and in a way, you can actually see all that. I mean, it's just like the way that any kind of fanatics um, can kill you in the name of their god, and, and you know, it doesn't feel like murder to them anymore. It's 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 justified because it's for the greater good, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and so, a lot of what Scientology is engineered is that even though Elrond died, um, David Miscavige took over, mm-hmm. and through a combination of you know just outright force power. Um, kind of bullying brutality and being really, really clever about financial assets um, and hiding all of their money in different shell corporations and and everything else and protecting them from the IRS and just smashing on the IRS is that that's that's one of the reasons why we still see them today. And I mean, like, yeah, I mean, they, they have enough money. They can buy a Super Bowl commercial, no problem. You know, the problem is, though, is that they're locked into this very dangerous endgame where they have no new scripture to add to it, right? Because what I was saying before about um, Christianity trying to guarantee you something only on, mm-hmm. you know, the, the point of death, right? Very convenient. Um, Scientology is not because, I mean, you have these levels and you have your top levels of OT8. This is as high up as it goes. And 
so yeah, people, you know, fighting and striving and pain and, and, uh, um, you know, subjecting themselves to God knows how many thousands of hours to try to get to that level. Well, there is no level past it. Right. And so basically at that point, you're supposed to damn near be, uh, you know, almost superhuman, really. I mean, you're supposed to have, you know, telekinesis and control of space, time and matter. And your body is just like a puppet and you're like a godlike being inhabiting your flesh and all of this. Well, I mean, it's obviously not fucking true. So, I mean, you know, the problem is, uh, I mean, Tom Cruise is one of them and yeah, he's rich, but I don't think it gives him extra powers, you know, and, and there's, you know, I met some ex OT sevens and OT eights and, you know what I mean? They, they are painfully aware of the fact that it's, it's all of a kind of a psychosomatic mirage, you know, um, as you continue forward and you try to feel better about yourself and, and, and so forth. And, um, but the problem is that there's no new scripture. Right. So what David Miscavige is doing is he's completely recycling um, the old works, um, reissuing them, making people buy them again, mm-hmm. which is causing a lot of dissension, causing people to leave. And it's become really difficult for them to recruit people because how am I going to sell you a secret behind door number two. Right. If you can just get on your fucking phone and just be like, what is behind OT three? And you are able to read it right away. And that's why they've been so dangerous. Um, especially in the early days of the internet and why they were just white knuckled, terrified at this stuff getting out of the internet. We're trying to just stop it at all costs because that's really where all their power lies. Right. Um, anything else is, is it's hard to get, new people in on it and so they're trying to make inroads into new communities they have like kind of a new sort of secret partnership with um uh the nation of islam that they're working on and trying to get inroads into that community and and uh there's a lot of evidence for that which is really bad shit terrifying insane um you know and so uh you know to see uh farrakhan hold up a a copy of Dianetics and be like, you know, the true truth is in here. It's, it's, I mean, it's just terrifying. So, so what's interesting is that in this last 10 years, in my own lifetime, I'm seeing this radical shift of, you know, what, what is their next hundred years look like? Right. Are they going to have in a hundred years? Cause, and, and I think a lot of people have been in Scientology. A lot of people have gotten out of it. We're all wondering, um, you know, what's next. Cause what are you going to do with all that money? You know what I mean? And, and what do you do with that money and the real estate and what happens if David Miscavige dies? Right. You know, I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't believe that anybody is aware of any kind of, you know, even inkling of a succession plan. Um, a lot of his upper level echelon people have been driven out already. So, I mean, he has no real successor. So, I mean, it's like, you know, this is the kind of crazy shit that you watch in your, in your lifetime is like, what, what happens, mm-hmm. you know, do they become more dangerous because, they're up against the ropes. So they just kind of, you know, try to hang back a little bit. And, and a lot of it you see them, what they change is that they, they continue to pump money into these different public faces like uh, Narconon, um, you know, stuff that on paper seems noble and, and fantastic mm-hmm. of, you know, I'm trying to prevent people from being on drugs. I'm trying to, you know I mean, uh, give the different kinds of charities. And, you know I mean? It's stuff like that that, yeah. that makes you a player. And that is the ugly truth of also, you know, American uh, religious uh, belief is that if you have enough money, then you have power. And if you have enough power, then people are going to be, you know, scared to say much against you. Mm -hmm. Um, And 
you know, what happens in a, in a hundred years, you yeah. know what I mean? And, and, and I think these things get forgotten. I mean, like, you know, Jim Jones, um, and the people's church out here in the people's temple, um, out here in San Francisco had enormous political power and clout because they, they had so many believers, you know what I mean? So they could truck them in on buses and have them vote, you know, and, and that mattered. I mean, you got like, you know, ex-mayor Willer, Willie Brown, like introducing him and calling Jim Jones a good friend and, you know what I mean? And, and shit like that. I mean, because it, it just, it gets into politics as usual. And you see that happening in LA, certainly like the amount of people who don't want to be upfront or be honest about, or, or really say anything bad against Scientology is because they, because they have money and power and that's it. You know what I mean? And, and, God bless the, you know, going clear in HBO and everybody being like, you know, just throwing a huge middle finger in the face and being like, all right, probably not going to make any friends over this, but fuck it, it's the truth, you know? Do you think some sort of tide has been turned that, that like you said, I mean, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, there was no internet. They were definitely terrified of the information that people would learn. Right. Is the cat out of the bag, do you think? And, and do you think the public perception of, of Scientology is coming around to being aware of what the truth really is? Or do you think there's still a long way to go? I think I think the tide has definitely turned in terms of public sentiment, in terms of people being more educated. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact that, you know, Going Clear is one of the most watched documentaries of, you know, in, of HBO's history. Um is incredible is amazing it shows that people are you know not only curious is that once they find out about it i mean their their jaws drop Hmm. because this is the kind of shit i've been growing up with and have known for a long time and you know when that movie came out the amount of people that all of a sudden hit me up and they're like i had no idea and I was like, just what I'm fucking telling you. <laughs> you know, all these people are like, Jamie, you should just go out and, you know, do a documentary on Scientology. And I'm like, simmer down there. Like, you have no idea how dangerous that that is as an idea. It's like, they're just, they're no fucking joke, you know? Do you fear for your safety? All the time. All the time. I mean, uh, I mean, I, I've learned, I mean, I live in Oakland, so fear's fear's a healthy thing to have anyways. But, um, I mean, I'm not an idiot. You know, um, I also choose not to live my life in a state of paranoia. I don't want to be my grandfather. I don't want to be Elron himself, you know, just cause you're paranoid. Don't mean that they're not after you. But, um, I mean, am I sure they know where I live? I'm sure they have a dossier on me. I'm sure that, you know, I mean, that's just how they operate, you know? And, uh, you know, I've been followed by them and, you know, I've had the, you know, the private investigator gardening van, you know, follow me for, city blocks and and all kinds of nasty shit. The difference is now is I think what people are realizing is that so many people are taking shots at them. They have so many fires to put out. Their membership is dwindling. Um, In a way, they're kind of on the retreat and and hopefully, and I'm I'm praying to to the gods I I don't really believe in, I'll pray to Zeus, um, is that... uh, that I'm the least of their problems, right? Because what I am is is I'm I'm walking evidence of who Elron really was and his son that they want to bury and and write that whole aspect of biography out. But what they're really scared about is the people who have just left the church, because those are the people who know the active crimes that are happening, what's being done in Scientology's name, the nitty gritty dirt. That's what David Miscavige is worried about. Um, I mean, he's following, he's putting surveillance on his own fucking dad for like five years. Um, 
he had people literally rent and move into the house across from Marty Rathburn for years. You know what I mean? Like we're and talking. Who is Marty Rathburn? Just Marty for- Rathburn is the number two guy in Scientology who left. Um, I mean, they are absolutely active and aggressive, and I hear reports on that all the time. Um, so I mean, it's not that they're not. Uh, it's not that they're not still at war. It's just that their battlefront has changed, um, and they have a lot a lot less members. Um, and you know, they they definitely feel under attack. So I mean, I think that this is a turning point. The problem is the public is fickle. You know what I mean? That. You know, it hits Facebook, lots of chatter, lots of this, that, and then you know, next week it's it's the latest cop shooting, the latest injustice, the latest fucking awful thing that happens in the world. And so, what makes it change? I mean, what is really going to be the the death blow for them is if the United States revokes their tax exempt status. Mm-hmm. That would be enormous. Um, that'd be enormous. Um, is that going to stop? Scientology? Not necessarily. I mean, they still have all that money. I'm sure a ton of it is on, you know, offshores and right. God knows where the fuck else. Um, but, I mean, that's that's huge. Um, and what's happening now also is that kind of similar to, like, you know, Martin Luther and, like, the Protestant Reformation or something is that, like, people are leaving now who are blaming David Miscavige on their way out. They're like, David Miscavige is is ruining Scientology. Um, that L. Ron Hubbard brought us this beautiful gift and this technology, and David Miscavige is so abusive, he's ruining it, right? Um, in a way, it's like, you know, Protestants are like, you know, fuck the Pope, but I still believe in God. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a lot of people coming out that are still, you know, they call themselves independent Scientologists, and, and you know, some of them, they get out far enough into the world, and then they, it all starts to dismantle for them, and then they talk to other people and, and realize that David Miscavige is basically just executing the same game plan as, as you know, Elrond. He may be the quarterback right now, but he didn't invent the sport. You Was know? he handpicked by Elrond to be the successor? He, he started as a messenger, so he started as, as one of Elrond's um, just basically straight-up underlings by definition and became one of his most prized messengers, um, was one of the only guys to communicate with him when Elrond was in hiding. And and by kind of controlling that flow of information of, of Elrond tells you something and then you communicate it to the other powers that be, um, I think he saw an opportunity to, you know, seize and, and maximize that that power. And I, th- I think what that has has... I think in a way is that his his he was just trained by, you know, his father figure arguably of of you know and and that um, you know he just continuously is executing the vision and um, you know the biography and the myths that Elrond wanted to propagate mm-hmm. and he's just still committing to to believing in that and in a way I mean it's L. Ron Hubbard has always been the biggest problem of Scientology mm-hmm. you know I mean his biography is a problem you know these things have been easily disproven you know his military his medical records his you know I mean these his, his school transcripts these stuff have been found a lot of them were even found by Jerry Armstrong mm-hmm. um, and so I mean L. Ron is has always been a problem because it's like some independent Scientologists argue like well the technology is is good, you know, as well. They'll say I ha- or in Scientology speak. I've had so many wins, you know, from this this uh, this tech, you know. Um, but the problem is, I mean, the, the guy lied about everything. So like, why why you know 
if Einstein was a pathological liar, I don't know if I'd want to build a missile off his blueprints. Right. You know what I mean? Um, so that, this is kind of how that works. Do you think? Do you think we should? And do you think we will see the day when David Miscavige and other leaders of Scientology are arrested and prosecuted for things they've done? You know, I would like to think that. I think it's profoundly unlikely. I think that... You think it should happen? I think they're guilty of all kinds of shit. You know what I mean? I think that... uh, Crimes. Legally offensive. yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. I mean... God, at the very least, it's like, you know, um, just, I mean, I'm, I'm sure many of them are at the very least guilty of assault, you know what I mean? But that's nothing. It's just like, it's also, that's the thing is that they're very clever. Um, you know, I mean, many people who join the Sea Org have to sign non-disclosure agreements that are incredibly binding when they join, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, so when they try to leave, there's like a lot of, you know, paperwork and, and, and buyouts. These are basic members. Members. Yeah. Yes. I mean, they're, they're very, very clever, um, in engineering, you know, what you can and can't say when you come out legally protecting themselves, making sure that, I mean, you know, they run the shit like the mob would, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Yeah. It's like anything, any kind of dirt that goes down. I think that a lot of the stuff that's come out, Lately, that I think that um, um, stuff that you see in Going Clear, like Marty Rathburn and um, Mike Rinder, who were arguably the two and three guys in Scientology who left, um, and they left at the hands of a lot of abuse, um, they claim to David Miscavige. And that, um, you know, a lot of these things are like, these are things that, like, David Miscavige um, was, you know, personally there, like, physically and, and, like, laid hands on them. And, and that's the thing is I think that, you know, there's a certain amount of abuse of abuse that anybody is going to accept um, in the name of your belief, right? I mean, fuck, you see that with people self-crucify themselves, you know what I mean, to, to give honor to God. I mean, there, there's a lot of suffering people will put up with if they feel it's for their salvation or for, for the greater good. And But I think there's also just some shit is that part of it is that they started to see... You know, when Elrond would was living and would flip out and scream at people and have them thrown overboard and, and you know, I mean, stuff that, that people started to see the really ugly side of it that, um, you know, basically when when power uh, just completely corrupts, you know, the, the leader, whether, I mean, whether not really, when they're not able to pull off the rock star cult swagger thing anymore, right. you know, I mean, Jim Jones had a pretty firm control over most of his believers. And in, in the end, you know, in Jonestown, he got really sloppy. You know, he was on a bunch of drugs and he'd be slurring his radio addresses. And, and it's moments like that that, like, you know, you, you start to drop the mask. You know what I mean? And and then that's when people's, their doubts become more real. Hmm. You know, because the last thing you want to do is show that you're mortal. You know, the last thing you want to do is show that you're, you know, have a temper and, and will slap someone in the face. And, you know what I mean? Like shit like that so i mean i mean that's the kind of that's the kind of stuff that um was writing people out and i mean also this just really uh, cannibalistic quality that they have of of you know making sea org members um, um you know snitch on each other um you know they're always digging for dirt and for your own paranoia and and, and to look to see if you've ever said an unkind word about david miscavige do you have ulterior motives i mean they're, they're always digging you know to get something out so you know i would say i would hope so um but i i don't i don't think it's likely i mean the problem is that yeah i'm i'm, I'm kind of a cynical 
belief about it um, in a way because people forget that Elrond got away with all of it. Mm-hmm. You know, And I say that often because I, I want that to be reinforced in people's minds. It's like he... Um, I don't think that he necessarily died happy, but I mean, he died rich. His wife went to fucking jail. He never went to jail. He never even went to fucking court. You know what I mean? Like he got away with all of it. And I think that they're, you know, that they're basically insulated in the same way. And they have an army of lawyers. You know what I mean? Anything that you're going to try to drag any of those guys in court, they're going to fight you tooth and nail and, and just, you know, delay it and, and, I mean, when you, I mean, they have lawyers that are just like they don't even give a fuck if they win or lose. I mean, they're just you know, they're just paid on retainer and they're just in court all the time. Who fucking cares? They don't care. You know what I mean? Yeah. They're like, whatever. Let's just keep suing these people. I mean, because that's also part of the theology. You know, Elrond's his whole abuse of like the legal system is like staggering. You know, I mean, that's how they made the IRS succumb. It's just sue the shit out of the IRS individually, like individual employees of the IRS like no one's used to that mm-hmm. no one's used to like and I mean that that's how it's set up is like you know just sue the shit out of anybody because it doesn't even matter whether you win or lose because you're just you're just draining them mm-hmm. you're like bleeding them dry and that mm-hmm. that's that's you know from Elrond's own um, orders is that, that that's how you're supposed to do things the last question I want to ask you is for for <laughs> someone for someone who does listen to this or someone who's in the Sea Org or within Scientology and realizes it's a lie and they want to get out, mm. but they're scared for their safety. Right. Um, what would you recommend for them to do? What could they do to, to help themselves and, and restart their life? Um, well, I think a lot of it is, is to have a smart way out, um, to contact people that you know are absolutely 100% on the up and up. I mean, they could contact me if they're like, look, I'm, I'm trying to get out, and I would know some people that they could they could talk to or at least know someone who would know someone that they could talk to because the problem is there's a whole lot of spy games that happen in the Scientology world there's like double agents there's people who get hush money there's people who are are getting paid to rat out other people I mean it's it's a really kind of it can be kind of a murky world and I think that that's what's really terrifying for a lot of people trying to get out is how many people's motives are suspect um, but there's a lot of people who are, are fully absolutely 110,000% mm-hmm. out and will help people in any way, shape, um, you know, that they can. And so I think a lot of it is is um, not being afraid of your secrets being used by Scientology. It's one of the first weapons they're going to try to use. Um, understanding that you're going to have to pay a kind of spiritual tax for it, that there's going to be a huge sense of, of, you know, cauterizing a wound of, like, losing a limb because... Scientology is so brutal in holding people's families hostage, your secrets hostage, um, a sense of your own identity. And But there's a lot of people who've left and have completely created new and, and amazing lives, mm. you know, um, people who never, you know, even went to school, you know what I mean, that this is all they knew. But there's a whole other world out of there, and there's a huge community that is growing every day um, and is massive um, all over the world and people trying to help each other out and... And, you know, in the varying steps that it's going to take for them, you know, because in some ways you have to, you're going to learn to see the world in, in new eyes. You know, I mean, you're going to start to look past the programming that they, you know, suggested towards you. And, and there's also kind of the um, loosening yourself from the addiction to the e-meter, to the, the hierarchy, the structure, the, the sense of purpose that Scientology is always forcing into you. Um, and so a lot of it is is to... to 
to really not be as afraid as, as they want you to be. Mm. You know, I mean, if they have some of your dirty sex secrets, fuck it. You know, own them. You know, own them and, and, and because once you own them and you admit to them, they don't have any more power over you. That if your family is going to stay in Scientology, then unfortunately they're going to drop you and they may see the light someday and it's going to be incredibly painful. It's going to be horrific. But I mean, is is understanding that that and the way that Scientology operates in that way is just another reason why you, you, you need to get further away from them. And, and, and the more days that you're able to spend free, you know, the, um, the saner and healthier that you're going to be. Um, and that you're you're going to be able to survive. So I think it's for for anybody leaving any kind of a, a cult. There's there's a sense of loss, um, and there's a sense of of kind of flailing in a way because you come to the quote real world where everybody you know we all have to figure out what our answers are. But if you're able to accept that maybe L. Ron Hubbard, this pathologically lying ginger sci-fi writer maybe wasn't the guy that had every single answer well then you're you know you're left with kind of a hard question of like well well who does you know i mean but i've always been comfortable or i've grown comfortable or been forced to become comfortable with with ambiguity you know um after leaving christianity because <laughs> i felt <clears throat> that was something i almost had to deprogram myself from and looking around and realizing that I lived an entire culture dominated by it. You know, it's, it's on every dollar bill. It's, uh, invoked every time you sneeze, you know, it's, uh, invoked in all of our obscenities and holy shit and motherfucker and God damn it. And, you know, it's, it's just infused through all of American history. And, you know, when you try to start to view things in a, you know, in an, or attempt to do it in an objective way, um, there's kind of a sense of growing horror that you have because you realize, well, what is true? You know, I mean, if this isn't true, um, if the Bible is really just a, a mixtape that's been thrown together, you know, by all different kinds of, of cultures and, and uh, you know, various people in power as a, um, an instrument of control mm. over women and and the subjugation of your subjects. And, you know, I mean, Christianity of itself has been so modified and, and changed over time um, as to what books went in the Bible and how they were changed and which translations is what and, you know, on and on. Is that, you know, now I, I, I just, I had to, you know, kind of as a kid come to that point of horror where I'm just like, you know, well, who who has the answer? And I was like, you know, maybe maybe no one does. Or maybe you can just pick one because clearly most people are just born into the answer that's handed to them and then they believe that that's the only one that that there must be because it's the only one that they know. Hmm. You know, I mean, they're, they're, if you're born in North America and you're, um, you know, uh, uh, generally Caucasian, you're most likely going to be born to be Christian. If you're born in, in, you know, Iraq, you know what I mean? You're more likely, you're probably very, you know, very... Very little uh, possibility of being born Christian. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, these are things that are just, it's where, where does your element of choice come into it? Right. You know, and a lot of people, they, they kind of internalize these belief systems that are forced on you and handed to you and told that this, this is just what we believe. This is tradition. Your grandma believes it, so don't you dare not believe. You know what I mean? Like, it takes a lot of strength to divorce yourself from 
one ongoing narrative and one ongoing continuum. Um, and I think that people who are who are atheists or whatever, I mean, you have to kind of watch in horror as the forces and armies of Christianity, you know, rally forces uh, against the, you know, armies of, of, you know, Muslim theology and, and, and this kind of, like, end game of this, like, black and white chess match, um, which is, you know, I mean, they're all driving towards the same apocalypse that's in their books. It doesn't have to be that way, but, I mean, it's it's kind of difficult for me in 2015 or whenever this podcast is going to air to kind of watch this this inevitable end game that is continuously marched and, mm-hmm. and pushed forward and, and not have a kind of a sense of, of, of you know, of just, like, utter, utter um, kind of like a numbing, you know, quality of just, like, yeah, people are going to believe what they're going to believe and how many more people are going to die in the name of what God... And, you know, um, things just keep marching forward. And I think, I think it's interesting to watch, you know, a cult that was basically invented, you know, by my bloodline in most people's lifetime. And you're watching its rise to power and then now it's starting to crumble and then trying to reconsolidate and reform themselves, you know. And that's the thing is that people should think about the earlier roots of their religions, you know, and, and how these things become institutions. Cause absolutely that's what Scientology would like to be. I mean, they absolutely would like to be out of the cult book, you know, and, and up to one of those religions that you're just forced to respect because you're forced to respect people's religious beliefs. And, and we better be careful about, you know, everybody what they believe, you know, and it doesn't matter if you think it's totally fucking insane you know, it's it, it doesn't matter what kind of atrocities have been done in the name of it. Let's just look past those and, you know, keep going and, and excuse this kind of behavior because we just view that religious belief is, is sacred and you shouldn't insult it. But I don't I, I choose not to believe that. I'm like, I, I don't think there's anything wrong in, in questioning these huge institutions of power, you know, and why are they able to control people's bodies and, you know, kill people in their name and, 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 you know, engineer, um, horrific events over and over and over on a daily basis. Um, and we're supposed to just like, well, you know, everyone's going to have their belief in the, you know, and I, I feel like more and more that the root of that is, is people are scared to take on things, um, because of, of fear, because, that the uh, the zealots are going to attack you. They're going to destroy you. They're going to smear you. They're going to, you know. So it's just like less and less are are we allowed to have any kind of a real discussion? Mm-hmm. You know, um, this is not not allowed to happen. And uh, so I mean, we'll we'll see what the future holds for all of it. But it's it's uh, it's hard for me to to view it in an entirely positive and and. and uh, like that there's a happy ending to the end of all of it. Well, hopefully your comments will add to the discussion in some way. Hopefully. I mean, I, I hope that, uh, someone asked me, they were like, um, you know, well, what do you believe in religion wise? I'm like, well, my great grandfather invented a religion. And then I grew up in the most powerful religion in the United States of America. Um, and, now I'm pretty content and almost relieved to not have to believe in anything, you know, and 
one thing I always point out is like, you know, the fucking Greek gods, man, they were great. They were fantastic. And the day that we are able to view other religions with the same sense of, you know, respect, but absurdity, you know, um, the healthier we are. I mean, the fact that there's that, that missing point of logic, that logical bridge that can go from understanding that people used to believe in Zeus and Poseidon and... I mean, they would fucking sacrifice people to them. They would burn people. They'd cut them up. You know what I mean? They did all kinds of horrible shit to them. Whole wars were fought for the people. Pray for them. You know, before battle, going over oceans and so forth. But now, I mean, we, you know, we view them as like kind of adorable, moralistic fairy tales. And Zeus is kind of a man whore and, you know, had a bad temper. And, and, but it's like the logic stops, you know, when people also start stop making the bridge of like, well, there's a clearly a lot of Zeus in the old Testament God. You know, there's a reason why Satan is a goat, much like Dionysus. There's, you know I mean? There's, it's like all of the logic stops and then people are like, whoa, 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 Hey, wait a minute. No, that's, that's real. That's religion. And that should be respected. You know, but you can have my kid read, you know, the Greek myths. That's fine. You know what I mean? But if you have my kid read the Quran, like we're going to have some fucking problems. Right. You know what I mean? And so it's, it's that, um, that turnoff, that like mental tourniquet is, uh, is really frustrating, you know, as someone, cause I'm, I'm pretty content to just not, I'm like, you know, on my deathbed, I'm sure I'm going to want some more days and think about the things I want to achieve and, and all of that. But I mean, I'm not going to be too worried about the afterlife. I spent so much of my early life obsessed with hell and damnation and, and sin and the antichrist and Armageddon. And then, you know, growing older and, and sort of unmasking my own family who's, uh, you know, has brought new terms to the world, like suppressive person, mm-hmm. SP, disconnection, rehabilitation, project force, just like hell on earth for a lot of its members. It's, um, it's hard not to see how, how belief itself has been used as a weapon mm-hmm. more than anything else. Well, Jamie, thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for listening. If you're interested in learning more about The Exchange, want to listen to episodes online, or would like to reach out to the show, feel free to visit the show's website at theexchangeshow.com.